Morning, family. How's everybody today? It's a nice warm one today. Don't let the sun catch you alone outside. Uh, I've been so enjoying just sharing around our series, Free Indeed, and today we're stepping into the title of today's message is Free from Shame. And um, I want to talk to you about four truths that we have to accept if we are going to journey towards freedom. This word shame is such a powerful part of our human experience or describes something that is so powerfully part and profoundly and deeply part of what it means to be a human being. The word shame is introduced for us right there in the beginning of Scripture. Remember how the story goes when God created Adam and Eve and He created them to have to have rulership over the earth and to to be the custodians, to care, to represent his desires for the earth. And he put them in that position and then God would daily come and walk with them in the cool of the day, it says in scripture, and have communion with them and and sort of just fellowship with them. And one day he was coming to look for them and have fellowship with them and couldn't find them. And he was calling out to them and eventually he found them and he said, where have you been? Why are you hiding? And they, what, would they, what did they say? What does the translations, most of them say? We were ashamed and we hid from you. Right there. One of the first effects that sin has had on the human experience is the word shame. Very, very powerful. Today in our societies is a word that we, we deal with quite a lot. Because we don't do public canings or public executions anymore. What do we do? We do public shaming. We use the internet, we use social media to display our displeasure at something. And we use shame as a weapon to say to people, you are not acting appropriately according to what we think is important. I mean, I was thoroughly disgusted this week with the way that our cricket captain has been treated by some people in social media and shaming. And it's, it's the way that we think correction should be done now on a social level. But it harkens right back to something that is spoken of in the book of Genesis. And we have to understand what shame does and how shame fits into the story of humanity if we are to understand freedom. The journey to freedom has four paths, parts to that path, four truths. If we wanna end up in a space of freedom, there's four things that I have to come to terms with, four things that I have to understand and in a sense agree with and just make part of my understanding about life. Those four things that I want to highlight quickly for us today is sin, guilt, shame, and repentance. If I want to end up in a place of freedom, I have to understand the truth around sin, around guilt, around shame, and then repentance. So in a sense, what I'm doing today is just taking a last Uh, the last couple of messages that we've preached in this series and just condensing them and putting them together so that we can have an understanding of the journey that the Lord is walking with us. First of all, the word sin, a very biblical word. It is a word that the the Bible uses to describe the human condition after we fell in the Garden of Eden. Most often the word sin is translated to mean missing the mark transgressing a boundary, offending someone and rebellion, to miss the mark. What does that mean? It means that there's an expectation. It means that there's a way that we were supposed to live and operate and a a way that we're supposed to be as human beings, but we are not no longer doing that. We are missing the mark. We are transgressing a boundary that was put in place. We are causing offense to someone. And that's a very important part of the word of of sin. And I'll say something about that just now. But it has a very personal component to it. And it is a state of rebellion. If I dig deeper into the word, sin stands opposed to the righteousness or right order that God requires. Sin stands opposed. That's what it means to miss the mark. When God made us, he made us, and as I've been saying for a while now, he made us within a specific way. The way he made creation is to function in a way that makes human flourishing possible and life and creation abundant and overflowing and good and joyful and peaceful. But to make that possible, he created with a certain law, a certain expectation of how things are supposed to work. But because of sin, we no longer hit the mark 
of that expectation of God's righteous order. We are actually now in a state of disorder. Where God made things to function a certain way, we make them want to function a different way. Where God established order, remember when the scripture says in the beginning, and the earth was formless and void and the spirit was hovering upon it. And then God began to speak creation into being. And what did God do when he spoke creation into being? He established order. He separated night from day. He separated the ground from the water. He put things in their place. He established order. But when we, when we sin, what we're doing is we're going against God's order and we're actually bringing disorder into the world. Years ago, I uh, had to f- officiate at my brother's wedding. Um, and he's, he's in the ministry and he, he was at that time serving in a church in Zanin as a children's pastor. He's still a children's pastor today. And um, so this, his wedding was gonna take place as part of the Sunday morning service. They were actually gonna do the ceremony. And uh, so we were invited to go up and be part of the celebration. And then I was asked to lead the Sunday service and officiate the wedding and and all of that. So we were very excited and we packed our bags as a family and off we're going to go. And we drove up to Zanin and spent the weekend there. And I had my suitcase with my clothes in it that had my weekend clothes and then my Sunday clothes. I had a black suit that I was going to wear with shoes and socks and a tie and everything all neatly packed and, you know, organized, put in order so that I can do what I'm supposed to do on Sunday. We get there the weekend, we have a great time, you know, we have fun and everything, Sunday morning comes and now I've got to get dressed. So I take my suit out its bag and I hang it up and my shirt and my tie and my socks, but my shoes are nowhere to be found. (laughs) And they're just not there. And I start looking for my shoes. Are they in somebody else's bag? No. Eventually, I do what every good father does and interrogate my children, you know. And uh, I sit them down and say, what happened? Who knows where my shoes is? And it comes out that our one son felt it good to unpack the shoes that I've packed. And he packed them out of the case and left them at home. And so I put things in order and he came and disordered them. And that resulted in me doing a a wedding ceremony for my brother, speaking at a church with a suit, a tie, a nice shirt, socks, and slops. (laughs) So it will be, isn't that what we did with God's creation? God comes and he puts things in order to be the best for us. But we slowly dismantle God's order because that's what sin does. So sin stands opposed to the righteousness or right order that God requires. Sin is always an offense against God. God takes sin personally. One of the ways we look at sin is we recognize its harm to the human being. But we cannot just have that perspective. Sin is not just something that harms people. It's also something that offends God. Sin is a very personal act against a personal God. He takes it personal. When we sin, it can I use the term upsets him? I use that term within the understanding of the immutability of God. But it, he takes it personal. It is a personal offense against a personal God. It is a relational thing. It is not just a law that I'm breaking. It's a person that I'm offending when I'm sinning. Sin, as described by Mark Biddle, who's an Old Testament scholar, he describes sin in the following way. A nexus or system of predisposition, distorted options, lasting consequences, and fateful impacts on both the sinner and the sinner's environment. When I say I have to accept the truth of sin in my life, I have to accept that I have taken a predisposition against God and God's order. It has become my way of life is to move away from God's order, to choose rather the distorted options than the options of God's order. I've become an agent of disorder. It is what I do. It's my predisposition. When we talk about sin, the scripture tells us and helps us understand that there are two levels of sin, or not levels, but two parts of sin in our lives. It's what we call original sin and personal sin. Original sin in the scripture is the fact that every one of us is born in sin. 
because we have common ancestry, Adam and Eve is the first representatives of all mankind. When they rebelled against God, that brought sin into our bloodline. And you and I are born in the bloodline of Adam. That original sin is important to me. Before I even do sin, I am born in sin. In fact, the reason that I'm going to do sin is because sin has become my disposition. Sin has become the way that I live. I am predisposed towards this disordering of God's order, of breaking things down. That is original sin. But then there's also personal sin. Not only am I born in sin and therefore have a, have a guilt because of my, just the fact that I'm human, I also do my own sin. I will offend God. I will break his boundaries. I will bring disorder where he wants order. I will rebel against him. It is who I am. And that's what we do. And that's a truth that I have to accept. One of the great thinkers of the faith, Augustine, said the following, original sin left humans with an inborn disability with regard to righteousness. He's saying that even if I know what is right, I am disabled or unable. I cannot do it. I have an internal dysfunction that causes me to not be able to do what is right. Original sin leaves humans with what Calvin calls an inborn defect. Another great thinker of our faith, Calvin, says, we need to understand that the fact that I'm born in sin, it's like I'm defective. What we have to recognize when we talk about sin and the truth that we believe the Bible teaches us about sin is sin affects everything. It affects everything about me and it affects everything about our environment. It affects the way I think, the way I feel, the way I act. It affects how I relate to others, how I relate to myself. It affects how I, affects how I relate to creation, how creation relates to creation. Everything is burdened under this sinful condition. Because mankind was made by God to be the, the, his instrument to govern the earth. When we stepped into sin, the whole earth groans under our sinfulness. And we see that displayed in creation. Not only do we have original sin, as I described, but we also have personal sin. Alvin Plantinga describes personal sin in this way. He says, it is any act, thought, desire, emotion, word, or deed, or its particular absence that displeases God and deserves blame. That's your condition and my condition. Now, if you want to step towards freedom, you have to accept this as the truth. Not about other people's life, but about your life. You have to come to terms with the fact that you were born in sin and that you practice sin. You have to accept that truth. If you do not accept that truth, you cannot get to freedom as the Bible proposes freedom to be. So that's the first truth. The next truth that follows on from that truth, once you accept that truth, the next truth is guilt. Where I break a law, I become guilty. And I am now in a position of being a guilty one. Guilt is the result of sin. Where there is sin, there is guilt. Because remember, sin is the way God created, is the, is the deviation from the way God created things to be. Now, whether I feel guilty or not is not the issue. I'm guilty. If I break the law, I'm guilty. If you drive down the highway and uh, you get pulled over by one of our officials and it's an honest official and they, they will tell you, you just broke the speed limit, uh, you have to pay a fine. You can say to them, but I don't think, I, I don't feel like I broke the speed limit. I don't feel like a person that is a fast driver. I feel like I was responsible. I feel, I don't feel like I'm guilty of what you say. If they take you to the camera and they show, the camera says you were supposed to drive 120, you were going 140, therefore the fine is so much, whether you feel guilty or not, you are guilty. And that, first of all, is what we have to accept as a human race. Because of the truth of sin, there's the truth of guilt. Whether I feel guilty or not, I'm guilty. Okay? Is that okay? Can we accept that? 
We are objectively guilty insofar as we have willfully rebelled against God by violating His law. It is a legal verdict and has little to do with whether one actually feels guilty or not. Legally, we are declared guilty because of sin. Legal. And because we legally declared guilty, we legally deserve punishment. You have to accept that. Now, remember, we're working our way to freedom. Now we're telling, we're saying, why do we need freedom? This is why we need freedom. Okay? So I'm guilty. But not only is guilty objective, it also does have a subjective reality to it. Guilty is also a feeling. I may be guilty without feeling guilty, but when I'm guilty, I often have a feeling associated with it. Isn't that true? How many of you know guilt feelings? Any of you have ever felt guilty about something? Please raise your hand, because if you never have felt guilt, we may need to send you for therapy, because you could be classified as a psychopath. So please tell me you, have, you know what guilty feelings feel like. It's, it's a horrible feeling. Brene Brown, a psychologist who's done a lot of work in this area, says it is a feeling that results from behaving in a flawed or bad way. Don't you hate it when you do something and then those feelings flood you of guilt? I've just done something horrible. And you feel guilty. It's a very powerful feeling. It's a feeling we all know very well. So guilt is objective. It's declared legally but it is also subjective in that it has an experience attached to it, a human experience. Stephen Patterson says, guilty people feels that, feel that they have done something, some specific thing that is wrong or bad. So we have guilt. Now, the human experience is this. We have fallen into sin. Because we've fallen into sin, we struggle with guilt. And guilt is a very powerful experience of the human being. Now, guilt causes the next thing to happen. Because I've sinned, I'm guilty. Because I'm guilty, I feel shame. Shame is a little different than guilty, feeling guilty. So let's talk about shame, this very powerful experience. Lewis Smeads, a biblical scholar who has done a lot of work in thinking and writing about this shame-guilt Dynamic, He says, we feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. So the difference, the, the regression from guilt to shame is, I've done something, I feel guilty because of what I've done. Shame is, that makes me a bad person. I feel ashamed because I am a bad person. Do you understand the slight difference between the two? Very important to understand that. That guilt is what I feel because of what I've done. Shame is what I feel for what I think I am. So shame has an identity component to it. Therefore, shame becomes a more difficult emotion to deal with than guilt. Psychologists have studied it and they say, when people feel guilty, they generally are more able to get over it because they create distance between themselves and their action. They say, I did that, and I'm sorry I did that. I will not do that again, but that's not me. That's something I did. When I feel shame, it's I am that, and therefore I feel ashamed. And shame becomes a much more powerful emotion that has far more negative effects in the lives of people and is far more difficult to deal with because I feel there's something wrong with me. If I know I did something wrong, I feel I can fix it. If there's something wrong with me, how do I fix that? So shame is very powerful. Again, Brene Brown says, it is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance and belonging. And that's what shame produces. That's what we see in the Garden of Eden, right there in the beginning. Where were you? I couldn't find you. We were ashamed and we hid from you. We withdrew from you. We separated from you. We cut community with you because we don't believe we belong. We, d we don't have a space of actually belonging. That's what shame does. And that's why shame is such a powerful thing. That's why we use public shaming. Because it is this powerful emotion 
that can govern other people's lives and behaviors. And we use shame in that way. Now, there's a good side to shame or a healthy side to shame from a scriptural perspective. Again, Lewis Smead, who thought and wrote about this, he talks about needing to understand for the Christian that when I become a Christian, I recognize the difference between my true self and my actual self. Now, let me explain to you what he means by that. He says, we all have a sense of our true self. Perhaps if I'm left alone to say what I want and do what I want, you'll see my true self come out. What I really care about, what I'm really interested in, what I really feel, it's my true self. So if I want to say it, I'm going to say it. I'm going to be my true self now. If I want to do it, I'm going to do it. Nobody's going to stop me. That's my true self. And we often think that the more you can be your true self, the more free you can be. From a biblical perspective, we just recognize that there's a disconnect between this true self and the actual self. The actual self is the person God created you to actually be. The person with the attitudes, the thoughts, the intentions, the desires that God wanted you to have. That if you express those desires and thoughts and actions, you would glorify him. But what sin did is it separated me. My true self is no longer the actual self that I'm supposed to be. So when I sin, there is a shame that comes with it. I'm ashamed that my sin is not just something I do. It's actually an expression of who I am. I'm a sinner. It has become part of my interwoven into my identity. And it's important for the Christian to understand that. So we, we see that there's a, where shame can help us. Where shame becomes unhealthy if it's not something you can deal with. If it becomes your prison. If it becomes your new reality, if it becomes your identity, I am a shameful person. Because the moment you take shame and you cannot deal with it, you cannot do anything with it, it begins to define you, it begins to define your identity, and it will cause you to react and live life in a certain way because it becomes the truth that you accept. And we have to recognize that with shame, shame is not is often linked to doing something wrong or inappropriate, but it's not always only linked. You can feel shame in places where there's nothing wrong with you. Like you can feel ashamed because you're poor. Have you broken a law and is that why you're poor? Have you upset God in some way? Is, have you broken God's law? No. But yet you feel ashamed. You can feel ashamed because you're not educated enough. We can feel shame because our bodies don't fit the perfect profile that somebody, that somebody has decided that that's what the perfect profile should be. We feel shame for all kinds of reasons. And the moment we give in to shame, we give something power in our lives that, that will ultimately lead to two losses. Loss of identity and loss of community. And that's what we see right from the beginning in the Bible. What happened between Adam and Eve after they had sinned, and the shame, they covered their nakedness, and it broke relationship with each other. Not only did it break communion with God, but it broke fellowship with each other, and their identities began to be shifted. The, 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 the man will find his identity in lording over the woman, and the woman will find her identity in trying to have the man, you know, care for her or love her. And identity becomes a, a struggle. And that's what happens whenever shame has its way with us. It breaks identity and it breaks community. But remember, we're on a path to freedom. So what sin does is it introduces guilt. Guilt introduces shame. And shame, my friends, is the place where the devil has his way. That's where he governs the world from, is from shame. That's, last week we spoke about where the scripture says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Shame brings condemnation. Shame separates you. Shame puts you in a place where you think there's nothing that can be done. And we begin to manage shame in our lives. We hide our shame. Or we reject the, the law that says 
I sh- that I'm, I should be ashamed of something, I say no longer. No, no, I shouldn't be ashamed of that and that's how I try to deal with shame. But, and we all do that. So how do we deal with shame? What is the Christian message in regards to sin, guilt, shame? The answer the Bible proposes is repentance. Repentance. In, into the scripture is, uh, is introduced this powerful idea that yes, you sin. Yes, you are guilty. And yes, there is a shamefulness to you because of your personal offense against God who created you and the disorder and the dysfunction. But all of that can be fundamentally and completely dealt with through repentance. Your shame can be removed if you repent. What is repentance? Now the word repentance is familiar to many of us and we often would describe it in this kind of illustration. Repentance is, I'm, living my, I'm walking one way, I stop and recognize I'm going the wrong way, I turn around and I have a 180 degree change and I walk a different way. Okay? Have you heard that illustration? That's often how repentance is described. Let's unpack that a little bit. Which is the wrong way that I'm walking? I'm walking away from God's order into disorder. Instead of being an agent of order, I'm an agent of disorder. Instead of living my life in the righteous way that God intended me to live, that will lead to life and flourishing and goodness, I'm walking towards that which is ultimately death. So yeah, I am on my journey. At some point, I have to stop and recognize that I'm going this way. The reason I'm going this way is because of sin. I have to accept the truth of sin. Original sin and individual personal sin. I have to stop and say, Lord, I can see this road that I'm walking on. I can see what it's doing in my life and doing to those around me. And I, I, I want to agree with you. Remember the word confession is the first step in the, in, in, in the process of repentance. The word confession means to call things what they actually are. So God says, my friend, you are sinning. I stop and I say, yes, Lord, you are right. I agree with your description and your diagnosis of my problem, sin. I'm going to stop calling this by some other name. I'm going to stop trying to find excuses. I'm going to stop trying to cover this up and sow fig leaves and you know, hide it. And I'm going to stop and say, yes, I am a sinner. I have a sin problem. Now what? Okay. That causes me to stop. Now I say, Lord, but I don't want to do this anymore. But this is what I do. I can't help myself. Then the Lord says, that's why I have taken care of your problem. And he says, if you turn to Christ, you can break free from this. So when I then, in my repentance, say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. The power of sin is broken and I turn around. And in that moment when I pray, the power of repentance is I am immediately forgiven of every sin I have ever done and every sin I will ever do. My position changes because I am no longer walking this way. I am now walking back towards God's order. I am changed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. The, the, the cross of Christ is an immediate effect on my life. So let's, let's talk about that for a moment in repentance. Sorry. So the word repentance, what it actually describes, as uh, Calvin, put, uh, uh, yeah, Calvin put it, he said it is the mortification of the flesh and the vivification of the spirit. What he meant by that, it is putting the old self to death and giving, putting, and giving life to the new self. That's what repentance is. So this is the old self. My old self is the true self. The self that wants to self-express according to my twisted, broken, disordered desires. This self, I'm now saying, I don't want to live according to this self. I'm putting this self to death. 
And I'm saying, Lord Jesus, help me put the new self, which is actually the original self, the OG self, the self that God created me to be, the self that is the actual self. I want to live in that self, Lord. I'm putting that to death. I'm putting this to life. Next week, we're baptizing. So this is a great opportunity. That's why when you go through the waters of baptism, what do you do? We put you under the water. What does that signify? What is the symbolism of that? You are dying to self. Your old self is being put to death. You're saying, I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to live disordered anymore. I put that to death. You, you cannot become alive if you don't die first in the biblical way of thinking. So I die. But how many of you are thankful that we don't just leave you under there? <laughs> Amen? And it's not just because we don't want to deal with the schlep of the admin of somebody died in the baptismal pool. Ooh, police and all of that. Oh, it's horrible. You know, whose problem? No, no. Because the symbolism is not only are you dying, but when you come up out of the waters, what are you saying? I have died to the old self. I am now alive to the new self. It is a public proclamation of something that happened internally, a change that happened like this. So repentance has a once-off total experience to it. When I give my life to Christ, it is once-off, I'm forgiven. But repentance also has a daily rhythm of repentance. Just like sin has two parts to it, twofold reality. Original sin and personal sin. So repentance has a twofold reality. I'm forgiven for my state of original sin. My position is changed. I'm no longer in that position of being a person under the curse of sin. And this is my default position. That is instantly but because that has changed, now I've turned around. Now I'm going to walk that way. And daily I have to walk and say, I'm walking away from disorder, my old self, and I'm walking towards order. And that's the working of the Spirit in my life every day, the work of sanctification, recreating God's order in my life. Because in my years of disorder and going towards disorder, I learned certain behaviors. I dealt with life from disorder. Now I have to unlearn that and relearn. And that requires daily forgiveness and repentance. That's why if you go to 1 John 1, verse 8 and 9, it says the following. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. There's some Christians that think all you need is the blood of Jesus, then you're perfect without sin. No, no, no. John says it here. And if you read the context, he's talking about this daily rhythm of, of repentance. He says, no, no. If you say you don't sin, you deceive yourself. You still have to put the old self to death and let the new self come to life every day. So if you claim you are without sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's the once of forgiveness and there's the daily rhythm of forgiveness in the life of the believer. Where I say, Lord, thank you that every day you help me to put down the old self and to pick up the new self. Every day, Lord Jesus, I need your Holy Spirit. Every now and then the Holy Spirit convicts me and he makes me aware of some of the old self that is still pretty much active in my life. And I go, Lord, I'm so sorry. I see things that way. I do that. I respond in that way. I, 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 I feel that way because that's the old self. Now, Holy Spirit, help me. Show me your truth. Guide me into all truth. What does it look like to actually live as the new self, to not feel that way anymore, to not bring disorder and chaos, but to be an agent of restitution and restoration and of, 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 of order. Help me, Lord. And this is my daily walk. And by the way, the context of 1 John 1 verse 9 is not just me privately confessing to the Lord, but it's actually me in community confessing. It actually involves me sometimes going to somebody else and saying, listen, I just want to tell you, I still have some old self issues. Will you walk with me? The moment I accept the truth, I'm a sinner. I accept that I'm guilty. I accept that shame is part of my reality. And then step into repentance and forgiveness. I get freedom. Because repentance and forgiveness based on the work of Christ on the cross and his perfect sacrifice means I am no longer 
legally guilty of sin. Sin still exists, by the way. Forgiveness and repentance doesn't change sin. Sin is still sin. Sin still exists. What is sinful, what God called sinful, when he created the earth, is still sinful today. Doesn't change sin. What it does change is my position of guilt. Why? Because the guilt verdict that was proclaimed over my life and the punishment associated with that guilty verdict, Jesus came and did, took on the cross. He took my guilt and he said, I will be guilty in your stead. And he paid the price. The punishment that was due to me, he received. So that when I now today, as a Christian, the Holy Spirit says to me, yeah, don't do, you can't speak like that, that's sin. I go, thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price, that my sin is forgiven, that I am no longer guilty, and that I can walk in freedom. Help me to not do that again. Because it's now possible for me. I'm not declared guilty and I can deal with my personal sin. And therefore, I don't have to let shame govern my life anymore. Hebrews 10 says that since we have been forgiven, our conscience has been sprinkled clean by the blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit will come and convict me and I will feel shame. <gasps> oh, there's that old self but I can deal with it instantly. I don't have to be burdened by it. I don't have to succumb to it. I don't have to be under its rulership and be a slave to shame and sin again because Jesus set me free. And therefore I'm free. Not free because sin has been canceled out, but be free because sin has been dealt with. It's a big difference. Now I want to apply that practically quickly. Will you prepare to give me a couple of minutes just to apply this practically? I want to apply this practically in the area of human sexuality. Because I touched on this a couple of weeks ago, so I want to come around and complete a thought. So if you accept truth that sin is, affects everything of the human experience, it affects the way I think, feel about myself, my relationship to myself, my relation to others, everything is effective. Then I have to understand that that truth, for instance, and I'm just using an example, this is true of every area, but that truth has impacted my sexuality and my sexual behavior, my sexual desires is affected by sin. Even if I'm a heterosexual, if I'm attracted to people of the opposite sex, people sometimes think, because you're attracted to people of the opposite sex, that means you're okay. Can I tell you that heterosexual people have deep problems with sexuality. Deep, fundamental problems. We see so much abuse in that space. We see so much dysfunction and disorder. We see how sex is weaponized between the genders. We see tremendous problems. I don't have time to describe it all to you, and I don't want to in this public platform. But can you accept with me that if I'm a heterosexual human being, I have to surrender my sexuality to Jesus and recognize and own up that my life is deeply affected by sin and that I am tending towards disorder, not God's order. When I become a Christian, it's what I do is I say, Lord Jesus, forgive me and I give you my sexuality so that you can reorder me and that I can do this gift that you have given me, that I can think, feel, act about it the way that glorifies you. Help me to be reordered. Is that okay? Do you accept that? Okay. Hold on to your hats. What about the same-sex attracted person? Does the same things apply to them? As a heterosexual Person, I have to accept sin, I have to accept guilt, I have to accept shame that comes with it, and I have to deal with it with repentance. What if I'm same-sex attracted? Or what we would broadly categorize within the space of homosexuality? Is there a different process for they, those people? If, I, if, I, if that's my struggle, do I have a different process? Or is it the same thing? Lord, I'm a sinner. Everything I feel and, and think, 
The way I interpret life is deeply affected by my brokenness. And I recognize that. It may have some different nuances to it, but it comes from the same place. Therefore, I'm guilty. But thank you, Jesus, that you dealt with my guilt. And thank you, Jesus, that the shame that I feel that wants to separate me from community and wants to provide me with identity that is probably not the identity that you have for me, that I can come and bring that to you, Jesus, and that you can walk with me a path of restoration towards godly order. Thank you, Jesus, that I can walk in forgiveness and repentance. Is it the same process? Okay. What about a transgender person or people that struggle with gender dysphoria? Is there a different process for them or is it the same process? Is it the same reality of going, I, I have to recognize the impact of sin. I have to recognize the guilt. Now it may be, I have to recognize the shame. Now as a Christian leader, I want to recognize that probably people that are in same-sex attraction and people in this category, and these are very broad categories, would probably deal with shame on a deeper level than I would deal as a heterosexual person, particularly in the community of faith. They would have more opportunity to feel disconnected and ostracized. So I, I recognize it, but it still is the same fundamental challenge. The same answer, repentance. It's the same solution. There are not different solutions for different problems. Otherwise, Jesus had to die for different people in different ways. One sacrifice, one forgiveness, one law. So no matter where I find myself on any of the dysfunctions and disorders and how it manifests in my life, it's the same path to freedom. So what does that tell us about being a Christian community? Are we, do we want to be a pretend community? Do you know what a pretend community is? You can be part of our community as long as you can hide your dysfunction and your disorder. When we come to church, we want to pretend like we're all good and holy people. And as long as you can pretend to be a good and holy person without disorders and stuff, you can be part of our community. Now, how many of you recognize that's easier for some than for others? Because for some of us, you can hide your disorder. Others, it becomes a bit more obvious, their disorder and the shame that's associated. Or is it possible that we can be a Christian community that does not let go of sin? Remember, we have to accept these four truths. We cannot erase sin and say, no, it's no longer sin. Heterosexual, homosexual, transgender, whatever we struggle, whatever the disorder we experience in our life, the way we're going to deal with it is we just erase sin because then everybody's okay. We can't do that because then we go against Scripture. We've got to elevate that value. We've got to hold it up and say, no, this is sin. But if like my job, for instance, in our community is to hold that up, I have to do that with deep humility and not with a pointing of the finger, but with a saying or holding out of the hand to say, I am judged guilty by the same verdict as you are. The same law, I fail. I have failed, and even now I'm still putting to death the old self and putting on the new self every day. I'm, I'm a fellow person on a journey with you. So can I stretch out my hand to you? I may not understand exactly because I don't have shared experience of how the disorder in your life has caused your pain and your shame and your struggle, but at least I can put my arm around you and say, I'm journeying with, with you. I used to go this way. I want to walk with you this way. As long as we can agree that we don't want to go this way, we want to go this way, then we can journey together. Amen? And so we're a community that doesn't affirm every lifestyle option and choice and say that must be right just because somebody wants it to be right. We say no. There is a biblical law, a godly order. But we welcome each other on the journey. And we say, come on, let's have compassion. Let's have hearts that reach out to one another. Otherwise, we, we become a community of shame. And shame becomes the control mechanism 
to keep everybody in check and keep everybody's behavior online. And that's not what Jesus died for. Well, that's not what I think. So I want to, can I have keyboard? Do we have keyboard this morning? I didn't even look if we had keyboard. We don't, oh, we do. Ruzan, where's Ruzan? She's over there. Don't get Ruzan. I struggle with shame in my life related to my story where I come from, the, the way I have to put down my old self and to begin to believe that God loves me. I have to remind it that I'm the prodigal son that wandered away, scoffed my inheritance, rejected Personally offended God. But I have to be reminded that I have a father that was looking down the path saying, come on. And when he saw me, he said, get ready the fattened calf. Today we're going to celebrate. He who has lost has been found and has come home. I don't know what your lostness is and how that looks, but I want to tell you, you have a father that says, come home. I will not shame you. Isn't it beautiful how he didn't shame the prodigal son? He didn't say, you are a bad person. How could you have done that? He just put his arms around him and said, you've come home. Now Jesus, when he dealt with people, he did say, go and sin no more. Again, he's not erasing sin. He's just saying there's something far more powerful than sin. There's something that will overcome. I don't know what it is that keeps you ashamed. What is your shame? Can we today trust a father? Trust him enough to be honest with him. Because this is the game we play with God. We, we hide our things behind our back and we put our best foot forward and so we think that we're building relationship with God. Do you know that you really build relationship with God when you hold your most shameful things out to him and say, I need you. And you experience his love and his grace for you in those things that you are most deeply ashamed about. That's when you feel the love of God more than anything else. And that's where it's my privilege to journey with other people because sometimes I learn through how deeply ashamed they feel the love of God because I see how God loves them. So I want to invite you today in a moment. Will you stand with me? Thank you for giving me some time. I needed to land this and land this properly. This message is not about sexuality and all that stuff. This message is about shame. Can we turn our minds away from other people and think about ourselves for a moment? Will you with me say, Lord, I'm guilty, I'm a sinner. Sin has deeply affected my life. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sin, I want to invite you to come to the front and let us pray with you because today you can walk away from that guilt and shame. Our team will be ready to meet with you in the front. I'm going to continue to pray, or even if the service has ended, you can come to the front and say, I need to give my life to Jesus. But Lord, I accept the truth of sin. I accept the truth of guilt. That even when I don't feel guilty, Lord, there's things that I'm guilty of. I accept the truth of shame. That I've departed from your original intent. That sin has worked its way into my very fiber of my being and that I am an agent of disorder and rebellion. Even when I try and be the best version of myself, I can't undo it. But I accept more than anything the truth of repentance and forgiveness. That I can come today and say, Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me. Every place where I've departed from you, forgive me. Every place of disorder, forgive me. Change the way I think. Change the way I relate. Change the way I feel. Change everything in my life. 
and help me, Lord, to walk, to, to walk towards you and the order of your righteousness in your presence. Thank you for grace. I don't deserve this, Jesus, but you did it for me. I am free. I am free. Forgive me for letting shame have power in my life, separating me from community, separating me, twisting my identity and how I think about myself, how I portray myself. Forgive me, Lord. Set me free to be the actual self that you have created me to be, to be free in that. I'm going to lean into community. I'm going to allow people to journey with me. I'm not going to pretend. I'm going to be real. I'm not going to excuse my sin, but I'm going to call it what it is and ask for your grace, Lord. I'm going to take that risk. And as a community, Lord, we're going to say, we want to take the risk of walking with people, of stretching out our hand and saying, I don't want you to be lost in shame. You have a father that says, come home. And I want to help in, in whatever way I can. And I thank you for that today in Jesus' name. So in this room, those that are joining us online, in the power of the name of Jesus, I want to break the power of shame over the lives of people here today in Jesus' name. Shame has no legal foundation in your life if you're a believer anymore. I break shame in Jesus' name. May you turn to Jesus and may you feel the freedom and live in the freedom that he has for you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you, if you just want to respond in the spirit today, if you need prayer for anything else or anything related to the message, please come to the front. Our team's really so excited to pray with you and ready. And please remember, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, today's the day. Then also remember Stars for Smiles. Get a, get a star for yourself and join Letitia in the uh, Connect Lounge and meet with her and find out about our church and be part of us and come into community. That's what it means for us. And uh, may the Lord bless you. May you have a fantastic week until we see you again.